back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. Good day to you. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined this week again, as always, uh, by my partner and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Tim. Good morning. Good afternoon. Yeah, it is an afternoon uh, afternoon recording this week. Um, glad to be with you all and excited about our conversation today. Um, it is um, the second week in a mini sub-series within our sermon series on First Peter. Um, there's a three-week sub-mini-series, if you will. Kind of a concentration. Right, right. Um, on, uh, what did you call, I forget what you called Christian your series. Christian community. Christian community. So we had genuine love, we talked about last week, if you caught that episode of the Deeper Cut podcast. And uh, today, we'll be talking about the sermon Phil preached this past Sunday um, on growing in grace um, as part of this, this mini-series. So... We kind of normally start, not really purposefully, just inadvertently, with a homiletic conversation, or at least a, a nuance or a peek behind the curtain, if you will. So I was wondering, Phil, you know, with this mini-series, obviously that's a planned thing, maybe not planned at the outset, I'm not sure, but um, last week you gave us all a sneak preview of your working titles, at the at least, for the second and the third sermons. So I'm wondering how, how much of that do you have in view? Like, you know, you just preached the second week. How much of the third week sermon is in your mind's eye, if you will, as you're prepping your second sermon? Like, are you pushing things off on purpose? Are you, we're just going to take this week as this week? You know, how much of that forward thinking is happening? It's, it's a good question. It's a progressive development. First, I'll study the book, and I see what the big themes are. And Peter, it's clear that <coughs> Peter is emphasizing the importance of the church in his letter. So Christian community, i.e. Uh, a b- biblical ecclesiology, a biblical understanding of the church, and our identity specifically as the household of God, and um, people who are outside the household of society. There's actually a, a blog post that I posted this morning that somewhat goes along with it, and we can talk about it more if we want to, but the word for household is oikos, and one of the words for exile or stranger is par oikos. Hmm. So in my essay that I wrote, I guess it was yesterday, uh, I pictured Christians as someone, or I, pic- I portrayed Abraham as someone looking in through the window of his own home because God had given him the promised land and watching people sitting at his table eating the food that God had given to him. Hmm. And so he's a par oikos. He's a stranger in his own oikos, in his own house, and that's part of the, the tension for Christians. And so mm-hmm. Peter is wanting to encourage us to become a more tightly formed community, more aligned with Scripture and more loving towards one another as a kind of a foundational basis for calling us or appealing to us to witness in the world in, in a particular way. So I, that theme became clear as I was doing my uh, 
uh, taking the, the church and the, the leadership of the church encourages me to take time away in the summer to study in depth what I'm going to be preaching the next year. And so last summer, that became really clear to me and was actually one of the things that drew me to Peter in the first place because mm. in my pastor's heart, I, I feel a burden for our congregation and others, other Christians in our area and other churches in our area and other denomination that we have a lot of work to do in this matter of being Christians together. And Tim, as an elder, you know very well how much we wind up interfacing with people when community breaks down in marriage and parenting mm -hmm. relationships and one another relationships even within the body. So that's on my radar as, as, as long ago as last summer in, in choosing the book and in studying the book. Then the next step for the preacher is to subdivide when you're preaching through a book, well, how long of a passage of scripture am I gonna choose for a preaching portion? And that's, that's something that is decided in terms of, well, how long do I want to spend on the book? Like, you could preach one sermon on First Peter. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of did, actually, just there when I talked about being a stranger in the midst of society. Or, like we're going to do, it's going to be about 25 messages. You can't talk about Christian community every single Sunday, even though mm -hmm. there's probably a thread of community in every passage in, in Peter. So as the book began to take shape, and as I continued to study, I saw that really the first section of Peter focuses on community in a special way, in a foundational way. Mm. Um, that actually starts in verse 1 of chapter 1 when he writes to the elect exiles, plural, in this scattered region of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It continues in verse 3 when Peter says, we have been born again. Mm -hmm. But the community emphasis takes on a sharp focus in verse 22. And so that's where I highlighted, and we get the word Philadelphia. So I said, let's, let's take the next three weeks and focus or concentrate on Christian community as, as the outworking of the gospel, which Peter is putting in place as a basis for his call to missions. Mm. I love talking that kind of stuff with you, Phil. Just to get a little glimpse into your brain. Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, um, there is a method to my madness. <laughs> it is madness. No, nah, well, there's there. It, it's as much method as it is madness, mm -hmm. obviously. And I know um, I, I've heard from some of our listeners who have appreciated hearing some of the, you know, I want to say behind the scenes, but some workshop. of your methodology. Yeah, yeah. kind of the workshop. Preach, um, preaching in workshop. fact, one of one of my friends who doesn't go to Mercy Hill, but who's in a, a PCA church in Maryland, I saw him over the weekend, and he said, I hear you have a podcast. And I checked out the first episode of First Peter because I was really interested to hear how Pastor Phil came up with hit the plan for because he's, he's in seminary to be okay. a pastor himself. Okay. So, um Getting feedback from that's that's great from the folks. So well, send him a uh, send him a t-shirt. <laughs> we have to have him. What's the t-shirt? Has your picture on it? No, <laughs> no. It's, it's got uh, it's got a uh, the deeper cut with the big axe. Oh, okay. And a stump. Yeah. We'll have to 
talk to somebody who does graphic design about coming up with something good. Chris, actually. Yeah. Uh, our brother Chris does some good graphic design. Yeah. Uh, graduates. Chris, we're graduate. coming for you. Just uh, be aware. You're going to get a text. Um, well, th that again, I appreciate you, you kind of sharing your madness mm -hmm. and your methodology with us. I think it's helpful, certainly for me, and I think a lot of people in our church appreciate um, certainly the amount of work and effort that you put in Thank on you. a weekly basis and even well before the week leading up to the sermon, obviously. Yeah, it, it is a lot of work. I, I do want to say one more thing. 25 sermons in a row is, for an American, uh, suburban, middle-class American, that's a lot. Yeah. And to, and to sustain your attention over, you know, essentially in a, six, six months, months of preaching yeah. is, is quite a bit. So part of the homiletical plan is to have um, strategic pauses. So this year, my sermon on Palm Sunday, I, I, I mapped it to fall at the end of chapter two, where we have one of the most beautiful pictures of the sacrifice of Christ. But on Easter Sunday, I'm not gonna be in First Peter. I'm, mm -hmm. ta I'm taking a pause. Uh, we've also um, asked a local pastor, mm -hmm. not in our denomination, but father and grandfather of some folks in our church, uh, Reverend Dr. Jim Leary, to do a four or five sermon series running parallel to First Peter. And I may have, we maybe mentioned this earlier in another recording, Tim, but he's doing a life of Peter. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I'm actually actively reading in my, in my weekly preparation, I'm reading biographies of Peter, uh, by theological biographies, like who was Peter? Uh, I'm working on one right now by Oscar Coleman. It's brilliant, amazing. And this is feeding my soul. You know, in addition to the exegetical work I'm doing, I'm, I'm getting to know this man. But then, even within the series, to have two or three sermons that, where you you don't force the text to say something it doesn't say, but where you, you draw a theme that's strongly prominent in the text. Right. So this may come up again in chapter three on marriage. I may do a two or three. Well, there's certainly two, and I might turn it into a three sermon series on marriage doing the same thing that I'm doing now. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Yeah. We need to... But it helps. The point is it helps people with, with their attention. Yeah. And gives the mind something to hook into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I especially appreciate it because it gives us uh, continuity in this in the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so I, I especially benefit from your uh, homiletical approach here. Um, but yeah, no. Again, thank you for being so open with your process and um, and even more so just it's it's obvious to me sitting here that this isn't um, this isn't primarily what interests Phil Henry this is what you believe God wants our church to hear um, and needs to hear whether that's an easy thing for us to hear or not um, and even the way you've mapped it out so as to not lose momentum or lose our attention or for us to get a better picture of who is the author of this book that we're spending six months reading together and, and, and hearing preached. Um, 
is is uh you know obviously a, a, a sign of your love for for our church and for us so thank you for that i'll speak on behalf of the church you're welcome and thank you for the support that i i give because a good preacher is shaped by a good listener and a good congregation and you you model that for me tim and the church itself in encouraging me to to study and prepare is is affirming of that priority mm. so um, we're just going to start back slapping each other here in a second <laughs> well i'm going to try to um transition us into some of the content of your sermon and um actually to do so a thought just came to my head and i've heard you say and please correct me because i'm not trying to directly quote you but sure. Um, I think I've heard you say on on a couple of occasions that uh, a good a good sermon um, isn't necessarily going to bring someone back for a second week if they're a visitor, but a bad sermon will certainly stop them from coming back for a second week, right? Or you said something along those lines. Yeah, that's. Um, that's um I got that observation from experience, mm-hmm. but also my coach, uh, ch- when I was planning the church, uh, Bruce Finn um, kind of trained me hmm. with, with, with the importance of that. Like things like name and church, the name of your church, even where it's located, the kinds of music that you sing, your children's ministry program, your adult your adult discipleship ministries, these kinds of things. And so when you're forming a church kind of at the blueprint stage, you think and talk about all of these things. Mm-hmm. And informing that process for me was a wonderful little bur- book called Insights from the Unchurched. And in that book, it turns out unchurched people typically go to church in America two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's Christmas, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, the family gathering, goes to mass, goes to a, a Christmas Eve service. A friend may invite an atheist, skeptic, agnostic, individual, seeker, and I got nothing else to do this Sunday morning, So and I like her or him, and so I'll just go. So... That's a, that's a huge insight that we need to recognize as a, as a reality of our missionary context here in America. Second piece is, and the author apologized when he, when he said this, is he said, I hate to tell you this, pastors, but in all of our assessments of insights from the unchurched, the most important factor to them was the sermon. Hmm. And it was, didn't have to be a great sermon but it needed not to be a bad sermon. Mm-hmm. And if it was indeed a compelling sermon, that more than almost anything else uh, elicited an openness to a second visit. Hmm. And he apologized because he says, pastors, I know there's, always, there, there's, there's always already a lot on your plate. But because it was such a striking statistic, he spent the second half of the book simply speaking to pastors in their preaching. Hmm. Hmm. And when I read that, it was probably 08, 09, 2010. It, it really was working on my, my heart and mind. And 
and I decided that, um, you know, by God's grace, there's a lot of things in, in the ministry of the church that I can't control, but one thing I can control is bringing, what I say, bringing something special each Sunday. And my wife is a part of that, and she's a faithful, godly listener, and, uh, you know, that we as elders are, are part of that, and you guys gave me some really helpful feedback in my annual evaluation this year in terms of what you're hearing in the messages and affirming my gifts but also encouraging me to continue to grow and so it really does take uh, uh, a concerted effort on the part of the whole community so that the preaching is is meaningful life impacting encouraging challenging christ-centered mm -hmm. biblically ba based and not too long <laughs> I, I, I pushed you gently down that rabbit hole because we talked about growing in grace mm. this, this Sunday. And your introduction or your introductory remarks, you, you mentioned a couple different kind of areas in life, if you will, um, where growth is a good thing and some areas where growth is not necessarily a good thing. And church falls into both of those categories in a way. And so um, this is certainly, I don't want this to be a whole episode about church growth per se, but, you know, as you've, as you've just now kind of uh, more than mentioned, explained, you know, the preaching is an important aspect of how a church grows. But I would say that, you know, um, church health and church growth are not necessarily the same thing. And since we're talking about the Christian community and we're talking last week, we talked about genuine love and that requires some hard things growing in grace. As we get into this episode today. And if, if anyone had heard the sermon yesterday or on Sunday, um, that requires some hard things, you know, putting off of sin, mortifying sin to use that phrase. Um, it's not, like, uh, I don't think a church, a true church, or at least we wouldn't desire our church to grow just because of Phil's popular and his preaching is easy and kind of, you know, easy to listen to and very motivational. Like, we want to hear the truth that the Bible speaks about us as, as sinners as much as the truth as it speaks to us as being saved by Christ. So um, I guess where I was trying to go with that is um, as a segue into talking about growth in our church and growing in grace as a community of believers. And that's not always an easy thing. It's not always doing the most popular thing. And it's certainly not going off of statistics that our culture or even the general evangelical part of the church would say is like the right thing to do. <clears throat> so there was no question in there per se, but I'm just trying to kind of wade us into some waters here. Yeah. So I, I am, we'll just stick on preaching mm -hmm. for, for a minute because it is something that I've, I continue to spend a lot of time on. I talked with a young man who's going to be preaching in my place actually in a couple of weeks on the phone this morning just sort of talking through our service and I've given him a text to prepare from first Peter and 
I made the point that having been preaching now for 23 years, I still feel the need to, in fact, more than ever, I feel the need to read books on preaching, to practice different approaches to the proclamation of the word, to actively maintain what I would call that beginner's mind, uh, pretend like I know nothing. And as an elder, you have seen me do this somewhat since the elders every year at Mercy Hill preach at least one sermon. And I will often give you, okay, this year we're going to try this preaching outline. And, and, you know, after the eye rolls sort of wave around the table, it's like, oh boy, what has it got us doing this year? Um, it, it's my way of saying, look, preaching's hard. You, you need a good guide. And so um, homiletics, we talk about homiletics earlier, is is the art of speaking. It's essentially biblical rhetoric is, is what it amounts to. And nothing can replace being a Christian. I mean, that's sort of the sine qua non of preaching. You need to be a Christian. You can't just be a good speaker. And good speakers will grow, will, will, will bring followers. Just look, look on YouTube mm-hmm. or... Uh, you know, I've, I've been told any number of times, if you could only just make your sermons a little more like TED Talks, right? 12 minutes. Um, and I bristle at such suggestions, but because I'm, I'm trying to learn, I've also learned to listen to them. I've also been told that some of my best sermons are my 12-minute sermons, where I have one idea that I can really just communicate in a couple of different ways, sort of, you know, South Philly, South Jersey, get in, get out, bada bing, bada boom, I'm done, you know? That's a quote, by the way, of a man who's I invited to our church years ago, and he said, oh, pastor, you don't want me to come to your church. I said, why not? He says, because when I go to Mass, I sit in the fourth row, third seat in, it's 30 minutes. I get, I, I get in, I get out, bada bing, bada boom, I'm done. So I'm, you know, my, my message is at least 30 minutes, sometimes 40 minutes, and it has been longer. But it's important for me to pay attention to matters of people's attention span. So people aren't just leaving because it's just too long or yeah. it's too dense or too theological or, or these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So in preaching paying attention to growth factors, which is to say the things that people want to hear or are able to do or, or have a capacity to handle isn't inimical to health factors, which is, say, the truth of the gospel, um, rich theological content, Bible-based. And I think some people in our tribe will pit those things against one another, like, if, if you're thinking about rhetoric and homiletics and length of sermon and number of illustrations and whether you're smiling, then you're automatically emptying the gospel of its power. Mm. I, don't, I don't think that's the case. And part of my journey in preaching in terms of church health 
has been to make sure that I am paying attention to people's basic needs when it comes to even something like attention span, even though it infuriates me to think that people don't read books anymore and they're, you know, getting their news on eight second to, you know, 30 second snippets on TikTok and all these other things. You know, that infuriates me, but um, you got to meet people where they're at and help them to grow. Mm-hmm. So our motto at, at Mercy Hill is church health produces church growth, healthy plants grow. Mm-hmm. We can't pursue growth. You know, the, the worst question asked at one of our leadership meetings is, how do we grow this church? Right. A better question to ask is, where are we sick, health, unhealthy, and where does God want us to become healthier? We're going to trust God with the outcome. Yeah. Which is, in a way, the sermon that you preach just more focused on the individual. I mean, it was within the context of the whole church, obviously, but, um, you know, my mind's going to the, uh, I think it's five things that Peter lists, right, that are sinful things that we should put off, mm-hmm. I recall. And then you did something very interesting in your sermon where you also mentioned the, the positive aspects of those things. Right. And um, that, to me, is... I'm tempted to take from your sermon, or going back to Peter, take from Peter's letter, put off sin, put on the fruit of the Spirit, you know, like that's it. Like that's what it boils down to. And I'm not inclined naturally to go, oh, I probably should actually look and think about what are those five things that Peter talks about? What does that mean? What, are the, what is the definition of those things? Why is that something that he's highlighting? Mm. How does that apply to me specifically? So in, in the sense of now I'm taking what you're saying about sermon craft and preaching, taking it in and out, out of the pulpit, if you will, um, you being purposeful about, well, how am I smiling? What am I saying? How long is it? Is it challenging? Is it, you know, all those things that you just mentioned. I need to kind of take the same approach with one, my own life as a Christian, my sin, but even more so in the context of community, um, how am I showing genuine love or lack thereof <clears throat> to my brothers and sisters at Mercy Hill? So if I, this is a very South Jersey thing, um, very shallow type relationships. I have a lot of friends, but they're, you know, it's like, your neighbor that you know what they do for work, you know they have an Uncle Steve, and that's kind of like the extent of it. You know, you, you don't really ever get closer than that. It seems close enough. Like, oh, I know, I know my neighbor. You know, I know what's going on. But you don't really know the tragedies. You don't know the hard things. You don't know, you know, kind of what's really happening. Um, and we, we kind of do that arm's length type thing. Well, we don't want that at, at church. I don't want that at our church. And so we have to be purposeful and think through these things of how am I going to love my brothers and sisters? Is it just, hey, how's work? So, or is it... Yeah, so it's a profile of a healthy church member is really what I hear you describe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, 
your sermon is making me think of, yeah. you know, what, what does that look like? You know, because I could, I certainly need to start with me and my own heart. But then again, you know, we're talking about a community context here in this mini series. So I'm trying to, to bring it to that level. That's good. I'm reading History of Calvin and Calvinism. It's a great book by John McNeil. It's really a brilliant book. It's a masterpiece. But he summarizes Calvin's marks of the church, which is the right preaching of the word and the right administration of the sacraments, two marks. Mm -hmm. And McNeil said there's a third mark, which is somewhat subservient to the other two, but definitely serving them, which is discipline. Mm. So a healthy church is one in which the gospel is preached and I don't mean that as just a saying, like preach the gospel and you know, both preach and gospel need to be understood. But so the gospel is preached, the gospel is um, distributed, if I can put it that way, in the in the sacraments mm -hmm. of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. And then people are called to live in alignment with the gospel by correction, encouragement, prayer, and accountability, not just from the leadership of the church, but from all the members of the church, which is, as we're going to see next week, we're a kingdom of priests. Mm. So one of my jokes is, people believe in the priesthood of all believers, except when it comes to the hard stuff. Mm. Then it's the pastor's job. Mm -hmm. Or, and then when the pastor jo does his job, or the elders, it's like, well, you can't tell me that, priesthood of all believers. <laughs> so a healthy church revolves around these three marks I think mm -hmm. preaching, sacraments, and discipline and that goes back to the reformation which was as much a, a reformation of, of church discipline as it was a reformation of say exegesis and, and understanding the actual teaching of the Bible when, when you say discipline just to be crystal clear about it because i think our ears are trained to hear discipline in a certain light all Spanking the time that's what i mean yeah yeah that's <laughs> what i assumed i just wanted to get that on record that that's what you're referring to yeah no um discipline from the latin discipula meaning student mm -hmm. so we are called uh our entire lives is a studentship or a followership in the school of christ and so if you are under the assumption that you can simply take salvation, stick it in your back pocket, and go on your merry way, you are not a Christian. That's a false conversion, and you need to question your salvation. On the other hand, if you understand that, that true saving faith by the unshakable word of God causes us to be born again to a living hope, James 1.18, that results in a certain kind of life that we'll call genuine love within the community and a putting away of our sin and a, an, an addiction to the gospel of the word, which is the spiritual milk that I preached about. Well, that's, that's true faith. And, and you're going to want to not only receive input from your brothers and sisters in Christ, the brotherhood, but you're going to seek it out. Mm. That's discipline. You're going to train yourself mm -hmm. and discipline yourself and school yourself in the ways of the Lord. And you're going to do that just you and Jesus over a cup of coffee at breakfast reading the Bible. You're going to do it 
in your marriage when your wife wants to do something, or your husband, and, and you disagree in, in parenting. Um, evaluating your own parenting traditions. We, we've seen the, the, the deadly quality of human traditions a couple of times in this series already. It's going to continue to come up. And then when you, when you aren't appropriating gospel truth the way that you should, and it comes to the attention of others in your church community, and they call your attention to it, that also is church discipline. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm concerned about you. I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Hey, I think you should go out to this Bible study. I think it could be helpful. And so when we get up to the, the very serious form of church discipline called excommunication or an indefinite suspension from the Lord's Supper, as, as we phrase it in the PCA, um, um, there needs to have been many, many, many opportunities along the way where you have been offered correction and schooling in the gospel and you've refused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a whole lot of discipline that's happening prior to what I think a lot of times our mind goes to, this is discipline. You know, yeah. we, we, put, we put a really narrow scope on that word when really it's... Mm-hmm really really broad mm-hmm. um so that that's helpful i appreciate you explaining that um even 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 for my own, and i know i knew the answer before i asked the question but yeah. it's good for me to continue to remind myself that that's what it is because i need to discipline myself and i need to sub- submit myself to the brothers and in discipline in that way too um we're all disciples right Matthew twenty eight, go therefore and make disciples. Mm-hmm. So there's discipline in the great the great commission mm-hmm. that we're all held to to living out as Christians. Yeah, the Greek word for disciples, mathetes, is connected to the word learning. Hmm. So we're learners. Hmm. So um, super super helpful. I was wondering if you, you mentioned this in that explanation or that answer to my question, and I thought maybe we could we could go one step further here. You mentioned uh, in in Peter, and he's talking about spiritual milk. Okay. And I and I thought about as you were answering that question, and um, you had said you know y- you can't be a Christian and just like take your salvation stick in your back pocket and go your merry way. On the alternative, um, being a Christian doesn't mean, and you kind of said this in your sermon, you have multiple PhDs from seminaries, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't, that is not what a Christian, that is not what maketh a Christian. Um, and so maybe we can unpack that a little bit more than what you're able to do just in time constraints and mm-hmm. in the format of a, of a sermon. What is this spiritual milk that Peter's talking about? And um, where does the, is there an end of the line there, maybe, would be the way I would uh, ask that question. Like, what is too much? Or, I think you mentioned this, like, at some point, you, you gotta have to get off the milk, if you, if you will, and there's other parts in the scriptures that talk about that, you know, being mature as a Christian seems like that would be part of growth mm-hmm. growing in grace is you're not staying in one spot but at the same time let's not uh, get too big for our britches here yeah it's a great question and a lot of 
facets to it. And just a, a brief comment. Don't you love the imagery of the Bible hmm. when you say, as newborn babies crave, des desire, um, deep, deeply long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Hmm. And he says, so that you might grow in it unto salvation. Hmm. So a good, a good hermeneutical principle is to interpret a verse within its most immediate context first, and then the analogy of Scripture, uh, analogia scripturae, which is the reformational principle that Scripture interprets itself mm -hmm. because it is an organic whole, and it is the entirety is the Word of God, but it's, it's pluriform, it's not uniform, so there's many ways that scripture speaks and describes and we have poetry and history and uh, instruction and letters in this case uh, peter is a diaspora letter so it's a, actually a peculiar kind of letter it's a mm. catholic letter it's not just to one church right so in context peter is describing the entirety of christian life as that of a child so he doesn't envision adulthood as ever leaving that childhood stage. Mm -hmm. In that sense, he's channeling his master rabbi and Lord Jesus, who mm -hmm. said, unless you repent and become like a little child, Matthew 18, actually the word is to turn, unless you turn and become like one. So you have to make a life change in order to think and act more in a more childlike manner. And he rebuked his disciples who tried to keep people from bringing children to him that he might touch them right and said for of such is the kingdom of god quick plug for uh, pedo baptism by the way he, he says both of these sorts of people who have a childlike mindset of such but of such like these yeah to to these ones belong the kingdom of god the mm -hmm. kingdom does not simply belong to adults who are childlike in spirit according to Jesus, who was touching actual babies, not just adults who had a childlike spirit, Right. said, the kingdom of God belongs to these. That's game, set, match right there. Yeah. So yeah, I've been reading through Mark, and I just read the passage where Jesus, like, literally takes up the child. Right. So this is not a... Ha having, uh, having made that polemical statement, <laughs> I do love my Reformed Baptist <laughs> brothers and sisters, and they are welcome in our fellowship. I hope I'd be welcome in theirs. So, uh, so the entirety of the Christian life, this is a quote from Calvin, a, a Christian is to be nurtured in the bosom of the church by the milk of the word for his entire life, at which point he is translated into glory. There is never a moment where we're to ever escape that mm -hmm. childlike frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And so unlike a human baby who moves on from milk to more solid food, a Christian baby in Peter's idiom is always to crave the nourishment of the gospel. And so um, one of my, uh, uh, I know it wasn't unique with him, but Tim Keller said that the gospel isn't just for the new believer, it's for the old believer as well. And the reason I know it isn't unique to him because it's an old hymn. I love to tell the story because those who know it best are a hungerin' and a thirstin' to hear it like the rest. 
So let's let Peter's use of milk and infanthood um, be unique to him. Mm. And we get to Hebrews, and it says you need to leave behind the elementary teachings and press on towards the, the, the deeper truths. Um, we're in we're in a it's a different context a significantly different yeah. context yeah but like the world of of peter the believers that the author of hebrews is writing to are tempted to give up on their faith because of the negative pressures they're facing in the society to conform mm-hmm. and so i think the temptation for a superficial repentance in hebrews 6 and a superficial engagement in the tasting the mysteries, which is mentioned there also, and therefore the, the possibility that someone isn't actually saved is the opposite of Peter's craving for pure spiritual milk of the word. So that's how I reconcile those mm-hmm. two texts. Mm-hmm. Context is important. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how do we not then, um, how do I put this? How do we continue or make sure that we don't lose our thirst for that spiritual milk? Like, What does that look like? Because, I mean, in, in reality kids grow up to be bigger kids who grow up to be teens who grow up to be adults and i know for a fact that my two-year-old drinks 10 times as much milk as i do mm-hmm. and i know it's not an, an equal you know or a fair comparison per se but i do think that there is a part of there's progression in that other words. there is real progression that we need to see yeah and and i think that sometimes uh, I'm hesitant to use the word jaded, but I think that sometimes we, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, I'm like, oh, I already got, I got that, you know, like I've moved on. I need this instead, right. you know, or I need this other kind of thing, or I need, I, I don't know, I, I'm not doing a good job of explaining it, but I feel like the pull there, so we've talked a couple of times in this podcast of like when you became, when you first became a Christian and what that was like. Right. And kind of the energy that you had and the way you looked at thing and you it was, you know, I, I, the way the word I would use. In, and when I've heard you describe, you know, kind of your experience was you were insatiable mm-hmm. in a way. And not that you're not that anymore, and but in, and incorrigible as well. <laughs> Cage stage alert. Yeah. But but we do change. You know, I'm not the same person that I was when I became a Christian. In a lot of good ways, certainly, um, but maybe not in all good in all good ways. Going back to growth is sometimes not a, mm-hmm. a good thing in in some regards. So, um, let me it's let, a, let you answer my great, question. It's a great topic, great question, and something that I have wrestled with. In fact, I I came of age in a day when we did these things called letters with stamps, and I have actually kept a lot of them. I don't know what you're referring to, Phil. Yeah. Um, um, it's in, by the way, it is interesting to look how much the stamp used to be I was going to say, it's much, much, much more costly to send a letter I now know. than it was at I one know. point. 
so, but I've kept Polly's letters to me. Hmm. And uh, we recently went on a vacation and it was over Valentine's week. And so I, I did sort of, you know, awesome husband move. And I had a letter for every day of the week of our vacation to her with a quote from a marriage book. And I, I did this whole thing. And um, uh, without going into any details, um, the best laid plans of mice and men. <laughs> 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 um, you know, or um, to, to quote another famous saying, no battle plan survives its first contact with the reality of marriage. Mm. But in any case, it was a great vacation, and it was a, an effort that was, was well-received by my wife in spite of some blunders and boo-boos that were made along the way. But one, one passage of a, a letter that she wrote me, she, she was writing with such pure, unadulterated joy hmm. about the Bible and her faith. And she, she can, she, I think I can share this. She shared with me later that she read that and she doesn't recognize that um, passion, I guess, in her life today. Hmm. And that actually became a really close bonding moment for us as a married couple, as Christians, as we prayed together and were, were asking, how do we recapture the joy of our salvation without going backwards? Mm -hmm. I would not want to repeat. Yeah. Any of the lessons that I've learned over the years, most of them the hard way. But I also uh, regret how the, the entropy of life has tended to suck the joy out of my faith at times. Mm. And I do find myself perhaps running on fumes. Having said that, the antidote is the gospel without meaning to be trite. And let me ask you this. Did you feel that the gospel was proclaimed on Sunday? Yeah. Was it clear? Yeah. Was it fresh to your hearing? Yeah. It, it yeah. caught you off guard in a couple of ways, and you thought, hmm, didn't see that. And, and uh, I say that because another fellow who is a regular attender with us, he's, he left, he just shook his head. He says, I don't know how you do it. Like, every Sunday... I think I know what the passage says, <laughs> and you wind up bringing out some new quality. And it's not like I'm inventing theology here, Tim, but I do work very hard because I think a good, a good factor in teaching adults is surprise. And if you can, maintaining orthodoxy, if you can present the gospel in a way that's fresh, fresh from my own experience, first and foremost, maybe we need Christians who are pastors, but then also fresh to your hearing and not just reworking stuff from commentaries and mm. and stuff that you heard in seminary or stuff you heard on the radio or god forbid somebody else's sermon that you download and print and sign your name to um, another version of preaching the gospel that gets tired is when it's so to quote unquote just the salvation message and you say this is this is just for the new believer or this is just and the mature Christians have to wind up kind of sitting on their hands and biting their, their tongue because they're like, okay, well, uh, the, the, the very clear message is church is for the unbeliever, not for the mature Christian. Mm -hmm. But I think this passage in First Peter is, uh, contradicts that, that approach. I think it's a combination of things. It's 
we need to continually go back to the fountain, which is the work of a lifetime. And we need teachers and preachers and worship services and Christian books and resources mm-hmm. uh, that continually help us see greater and greater dimensions. Last quote here. The Gospel of John is a kiddie pool that a child can play in in an ocean that an elephant can drown in. Mm-hmm. One and the same Gospel. And so 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 presents the Gospel in a way that hopefully was simple enough that even a brand new believer could get it. But even the most mature saint would say, I really was challenged and encouraged today. That's, re- that's really helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for those who are listening, too. Um, it actually just occurred to me as you were talking that, I don't know if it's most of the epistles, but a lot of the epistles in the New Testament are a reminder to those churches or to those Christians to go, like, to not forget, to not forget the gospel that they heard, whether it's right. from Paul or from Peter or from John. Right. Um because that's what we're tempted to do. Right. We're like, you know, whether right. it's the world and outside pressure or our right. own sin working on the inside right. of us. Uh, I mean, even though, go back to the Old Testament, I'm reading through the Pentateuch now. It's like, remember, 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 remember. <laughs> rem- I mean, it's just like, hit. how many times can you hit your people over the head, God, with remember, but we need it, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, that's... That's helpful. It's a little, um, if I w- if I wanted to be really short sighted about it, and and kind of put the blinders on, I'd say that's daunting. But then I reminded that the Holy Spirit is at work in me, and uh, I am part of a community of people who genuinely love me. Yeah. And so, it's not me alone climbing Everest, if you will. Um, and if I try to keep you guys out, then shame on me. Yeah. <laughs> and it is going to be a hard time for me right? in that regard. That's right. Right, so the, the practice of reading this. So here's a specific, and I, I think I mentioned in the, in the very briefly in my application, when you're reading the Word, don't just read it to check off a box, mm-hmm. but read it for an encounter with the risen Lord, whose gospel life, death, and resurrection is milk to your infant's heart. Mm-hmm. So pray, specifically pray, you know, hands on the scripture, hands up to heaven to receive. Uh, pray, may I meet you, Jesus, in my reading today, in the Pentateuch, in the Psalms, mm-hmm. in Proverbs in 1 Corinthians or wherever your reading may take you. But read. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you don't have an addictive taste or or an addiction to Scripture, read anyway and pray that God would show you what the barrier is. Probably it's something to do with your phone (laughs) Mm -hmm. or your job Mm -hmm. or your marriage or your school or your kids. And so recognize that since the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, is of first importance, then 
modern society cannot be permitted and the demand, so-called demands of your life cannot be committed, permitted to crowd out that Christian joy. And so you have, you're a man, you're, you're an agent, uh, an individual with the will, so make some hard decisions. Mm-hmm. Move. Um, change jobs. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're too busy, your kids are in too many sports. Do less. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a year and do no, do no sports for a year. No extracurricular activities. Play in the yard like we did growing up. Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm being a little bit. Yeah. You know, maybe punchy or over pragmatic, but. And and, fr- and freshen up your repentance. You know, try out, uh, take a risk, and stop lying or deceiving other people, because the gospel is the undeceived, unadulterated truth. Try out get, getting rid of some of your deceptions, because we all carry them. Hmm. Just last night in our elder prayer, uh, we noticed how easy it is for us as men to wear masks of hypocrisy, mm-hmm. and I felt like that was a, a movement of the Holy Spirit and. In indirectly flowing from the preaching of the word as we're trying to minister to God's people here at our at our church. Yeah. Uh, I have two kind of pragmatic recommendations for anyone who wants to hear them. And if you don't, you can just fast forward the next 90 seconds. Um, I am the kind of person that I feel like if I'm not raising the bar for myself, I'm doing myself an injustice, and that is so wrong most of the time. And in fact, in a lot of areas of my life, I need to lower the bar. Um, And I'm thinking specifically when it comes, we've been talking about reading the word, lower the bar. Hmm. Um, I have found that when I try to convince myself that I need to go systematically through the Bible, and I can't miss a day, and because that's the plan and just because uh it might be easier for me to read a gospel or a or an epistle i can't overlook ecclesiastes or you know insert book here in the old testament i don't say who cares but lower the bar if you enjoy reading john read john read it five times read it in one sitting um that's not to say don't ever investigate the other parts of the scriptures. All scriptures, God breathed, and um, is important for us. But I've read Genesis, I don't know how many times. Never because every time I hit restart, I start at the beginning. Right. And I never make it beyond Genesis because I never am willing to change my plan and lower my bar right. in, in a way. So that that's one one suggestion for those who might be struggling, like I struggle with keeping to a plan or getting bogged down or feeling um, discouraged or just kind of not enjoying reading the word. The other thing that I found, and this was a surprise to me and not planned and kind of inadvertent, but I've been doing a reading plan this year that is a reading plan that other people are doing. And it wasn't like hey, let's get together and do this. It was, uh, I'll give a shout out to Will Bausch, one of our other REs, and he had put a post out on our our communications platform realm. Kind of hey, I'm, I'm going to do th- I'm gonna do this. If anyone wants to do it with me, here's the information. And 
I kind of mentioned to him that I was going to do it, but we haven't been chatting about it. I don't text him about it. He does it and I do it and we kind of do it separately. But one of this beautiful thing has been happening a lot recently as I spend time with Will. And as you can imagine, our paths cross a lot being elders in the, in the same church. He'll often uh, read what he read that day and then pray. You know, he did it for pastoral prayer. I don't know if it was this week or last week. At our session meeting last week, he read it to, to someone who had joined as a guest, had read a portion. And I found myself going, I just read that. Mm. And it's it's kind of exciting because I'm like, this is something I've been thinking about. And here's someone else who's thinking about the same thing. And we're not talking about it. But this is God kind of using that in my life. And Will doesn't know about that. Not when well, I mean, now he does. But he didn't know about that. I'm not asking him to call me and say, how's the reading going? But God has been using that as an encouragement to me and showing me other things through other people who are reading the same thing. So that would be an encouragement, again, if you need some accountability, whether it's a planned thing or not, um, kind of, you know, taking up brothers in arms, if you will, you know, and going at it together can be an encouragement um, if you're struggling in that way. So for those of you who just skipped the last two minutes, welcome back. Um <laughs> And we'll I was move listening on to our... Tim. It's good, it's good <laughs> counsel. What came to my mind, D. James Kennedy, the late uh, Presbyterian pastor, had a saying. He says he was criticized for his evangelistic program called Evangelism Explosion. Mm. And he said, I'll take my subpar, poor, less than biblical evangelistic program that I do versus your excellent over-the-top, excellent, almost perfect evangelistic program that you don't, don't do. do. Yeah. So I'll take a very substandard Bible-reading practice any day mm -hmm. over, you know, the machine to the power of 10 that, that, you, <laughs> that you do for like three days or three weeks and then quit. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm excited about next week, just as a little teaser. It's called People of Praise is my working title, and we're going to explore how um, in Christ all the promises of God to the Old Testament saints have become fulfilled. Hmm. And we are uh, Jews and Gentiles together, followers of the Lord, to be a people of praise. Hmm. You can see how genuine love and growing in grace uh, are are important precursors to. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, I see, I see the the order. Yeah, the order here. Yeah, and part of my reading this week has been, uh, what does it mean to be a missionary church? Hmm. And I'm reminded of some of our early efforts as uh, in expressing kind of a missional Christianity. And how how catalytic some of those experiments were. Mm. Um, some of them ultimately did not prove to be uh, long-lasting for us or sustainable. But so I'm I'm looking forward to and, and would covet your prayers as we as we try to reinvigorate that part of our work. Yeah, well, I'll be praying for that end and willing and ready to roll up my sleeves right alongside you, brother. Amen.
Um, wait, that's that's a that's for our whole church, not just for the elders and not just for the pastor. Um, it's one of the things I've really appreciated that has you've said it a little bit from the pulpit, but it's just kind of sitting there. The the hum, if you will, is coming out. And last week in this or the last two weeks of s- sermons is this is in a Christ Church isn't a top down thing. It's not a selective thing. It's an everybody mm-hmm. thing. So um, that's important. You know, it, it takes everybody in the church for these things to happen. You can't genuinely love other people if it's just you, just by de- mm-hmm. by definition. Right. Um, growing in grace, you know, certainly we that that is an individual thing. You know, but it's also a community thing. And as you said today, and I think you said it on Sunday, you can't really, it doesn't go well on your own. Like, that's not how God has designed this to be. I mean, go back to the garden before the fall. It wasn't just Adam. Even in that regard. Yeah, well, e- e- even, and when it was just one person, Eve, that's when the problems began. So individualism, in some ways, was a precursor to the fall. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But um, I've I've been really encouraged by our church's response, you know, to um, the word being preached on Sunday. I've been really encouraged by just being refreshed by hearing the gospel and in this way I, you know you kind of asked me those questions put me on the spot thanks phil for that um but one of the things and, and i mentioned this to you earlier today i actually mentioned it while we've been recording too just the the negative and positive aspects of those sins that that peter points out um was a in a way very refreshing to think about that so that's a that's a new um a new, a new view, a new thought, a new uh, something to chew on for mm-hmm. me from Sunday. That um, so you know, yeah. Just on a, that, I following the Westminster standards, mm-hmm. the Confession talks about how to read the law. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe the larger Catechism. One of them is where something negative is forbidden, the positive by implication is enjoined. Right. And where something positive is required, by implication, the negative is forbidden. But it's also, um, it's it's also how Jesus Himself teaches us to interpret the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. In His so-called six antitheses, and in Paul's lists of vices, this is a vice list. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a stock and trade in the New Testament. Paul often lists the negatives followed by the positive. Famous one is the fruit of the flesh in Galatians five. Right and in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I got that particular framing of these negatives from I. Howard Marshall's commentary on First Peter, and uh, just it was, just, it, he's such a beautiful churchman at this point, and really you can hear his love for the people of God coming out in that. And um, So I'm glad that stood out as a, as a highlight because it, it really does put some specifics on what genuine love it should look like. And if if 
something else stood out to you, I'm speaking to our listeners here, then that's that's God speaking to you through the gospel, through, well, yeah, through Phil's gonna, preaching. So it, say, that was what hit me, but that, that doesn't mean that everyone else had to have that kind of epiphany. Right. And, and probably a lot of people went, well, yeah, I mean, I, I thought about that. Sure. Already, but sure. but um, whatever it might have been that you heard from the sermon on Sunday that went, ooh, light bulb went off, or I hadn't thought about yeah. it that way. Yeah. Grab a hold of those things. I mean, that's why we... Ha- and that's not why we have this podcast, but that's such a blessing to me to actually have a scheduled outlet, if you will, or a touch base with you and say, hey, I thought of this, mm-hmm. this, and this. Um, doesn't mean that you guys, everyone else out there has to go start a podcast, you know, or even come and talk to us on this one. But, you know, wife, friend, child, me, you, you know, Phil, um, those are things that are worth talking about, you know, and frankly, I think it's the movement of the Holy Spirit in our church for us to talk about those things it and is. to think through those. So, um, I don't know how long we've gone today. It feels like we've taken a big chunk, not that we ever get to the bottom of the barrel, but um, any other thoughts on, uh, on, this, on this week's... Um, we can always take another dip at it next week because it's all part of the same kind of mini series. But um, um, just would say that you know Peter ends his goal is that you would grow in your salvation, and I think what you just described represents at least two guys, you and me, mm. trying to grow in our salvation from the word that has been given to us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to continue to grow in my salvation. Likewise. Yeah, that, that is a, a mutual feeling for sure. Um, I f- certainly feel like I'm getting more than I'm giving. So I'm ha- happy to accommodate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you just validated that that was, uh, <laughs> that was true. So um, as always, you know, it's a pleasure to, to spend time with you, Phil, and um, to take another a deeper swipe at, at the sermon to hear a little bit of your methodology and your thoughts and kind of the notes that didn't make it in on Sunday morning. Thanks for um, allowing me to espouse some things and, and share my heart on some things. We hope, as always, it's been beneficial to anyone who's been listening um, or at least got your mind going. Uh, I, I kind of often or almost every week make this statement and, and I, I, I say it earnestly, we would welcome any, anyone who would want to join us, um, to join us. And you might even get a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris, again, a reminder, we're coming, coming for <laughs> you. So, um, but yeah, seriously, if, if you'd like to, to, uh, to join us, we have a couple very comfortable looking seats on the couch here in the studio that are um, vacant at the moment. So if you'd like to join us one of these weeks to talk about um, the sermon, be part of the conversation or, or even listen in, we'd welcome that. Um, and if you have questions or something we talked about today, trigger something in your mind and you want to talk about it some more, you know, ping us for those of you who are part of our church at Mercy Hill, you know how to get in contact with us. And if you're not part of our church and you've happened to stumble upon this podcast, um, it's on our website. 
you can go there and you can find our email addresses are there and our church, uh, our main email address is there. So feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Um, criticisms, suggestions, and you know, all other inquiries are, are welcome at all times. So um, looking forward, Lord willing, to be back here again next week to talk about part three of this mini-series um, in, in First Peter. And until then, you know, we pray that you have a, a good rest of your week and, uh, and a good day. God bless. Thank you.